Right. What's up, City Light? Woo-hoo! I'm back in business, baby. Uh, this is crazy, uh, wild, so thankful uh, just to be looking at you guys while preaching and being up here. So thankful to see God uh, bring us all back. And hopefully, Lord willing, stay back, all right? Everything's re-shutting down, but Lord willing, uh, this won't. So uh, you can keep praying for that, that once we're back, uh, we're back. So anyways, uh, I think it's pertinent. Let's just give the Lord some praise right now. Say thank you, Lord, for bringing us here. Thank you for bringing us back. Thank you for bringing us through. Uh, the Lord has done some amazing, amazing things, some amazing things uh, in and through this church during this wild season. Uh, so I want to encourage your hearts first. Remember what we always said from the beginning was that Sundays and services are a launching pad, not a landing place. And to see that lived out where in one sense Sundays are somewhat taken away, at least our ability to do it together. Uh, but because we've bought into what we're here to do, the mission remained the same. And so we were able to focus in on what God has asked us to do uh, and utilize Sundays the best we could and then go be a light in the world. And so I want to bring Dale up real quick. And he's just going to take a few minutes to share with you everything that happened during the pandemic, uh, everything that God was able to do both locally and globally. Uh, I just want to encourage your hearts uh, this morning about how God's been using you as a church. So welcome, right. Dale. Hey, Jason, you can you hear me back there? All right, good, good, good. Listen, really great news. God has done a lot of things through your efforts, through your prayers, through your giving. Locally here, during COVID, what we found was people were in desperate need for food, the basics. And many of them couldn't get to the food sites. So those are the ones we tried to focus in on. And so we worked on uh, people around this area, and we were able to do almost 200 bags of groceries every week, about 180. And uh, that's uh, served all around here. We also did hot meals for close to uh, over 500 several weeks, huh, Grace? And uh, we did those every week. And then we also did distribution in the city where we were able to distribute to the elderly, special needs families, hospital for sick children. We also were able, and we have a wonderful picture here of one of our elderly that we delivered to. This is Mother Gibson. She then helped us deliver to another 20 elderly families. So listen, we ended up working not just locally, not just in the city, but also locally with other churches. Uh, being the, uh, the, the support for local churches and other ministries, we were able to supply food for them so that they could also be involved. So God has done great things. We think close to 10,000 people were touched through what we did over those uh, eight weeks. So that's encouraging, right? Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. <clears throat> and uh, globally, it's been very exciting because we were able to reach out to places where Christians and Christian ministers were especially suffering. And so we were able to help people uh, with food distribution in Pakistan, in Egypt, in India, in Uganda, and in the Philippines. And in the Philippines, we were able to contribute enough towards a goal that we were able to feed one or uh, deliver one million meals there in the Philippines during our time. Isn't that exciting? So I, th I think you should be very encouraged and very excited about what God is doing. He's being faithful and he's using just uh, our, uh, our uh, love for him and our love for others is impacting people uh, positively during the COVID crisis. And all of those people hearing the gospel out of our uh, people we served around here, we did a survey, about 80% of them uh, said they read a gospel tract that we put in the bag 
or they listen to a link we sent them with a gospel uh, message. So that's especially important. And all around the world, the gospel being presented even as we were doing this. So very exciting times. Thank you, guys. Awesome. Thank you, David. Um, yes, there are so many things that we're celebrating. Uh, even with the survey that we did that he shared, uh, we also found out all the people that we've been serving, 64% of them suffered a job loss. They commented that they at least had 40 days with no job, that the father of the family lost their job or both parents lost their jobs. That's 64% had a significant job loss. Obviously, 80% read the gospel. 50% said they would like more uh, help and more English classes and different things going on. So the Lord was really able to give us access to the community and really bless them in a way uh, that's very tangible. And I just want to encourage you guys um, that because of your generosity, during the pandemic, which was just as much as before the pandemic, praise God, uh, that we were able to do even more than we had initially had planned on and hoped for. So because we didn't personally have a dip at City Light, we were able to give more and more and more away uh, to help more people. So I just want to encourage you in that. Your generosity is going directly towards these people having needs met. And uh, for us to partner with our community to bless them. I also want to encourage you, um, just some of these things that, that we know as a staff, is that our lighthouses, actually during the the pandemic grew by 50% in terms of attendance. So not only were we able to serve more, but 50% more people got involved in our lighthouses during the months, the pandemic, obviously it's still going on, uh, but during those months that it was really vital, uh, the Lord not only helped us serve more and be able to bless more people in the community, but he, he grew uh, our discipleship mechanism, our lighthouses, which is the way in which we grow together and mature in the faith and serve our community. So in every facet, everything, uh, we were able to serve more and we grew as a church, and the Lord is just unbelievably good in that. And so I just want you to have that perspective uh, to say, man, God has not only gotten us through, but He's helped us flourish uh, for the sake of the community. And I really want you to see how much God blesses when we prioritize His mission. I really believe this. I really believe this with all my heart. For us to say, God, we're going to come here. And we're just going to do what you ask us to do, and we're going to bless and serve the community, and we're not going to be concerned about all the other things sometimes churches get concerned about, how many, whatever. We're just going to focus on loving the Lord, loving one another, serving the community well. Uh, we really want to live that out. And so, Lord, here's all our resources, here's our money, here's our language, here's our time, here's our energy, here's everything. We just give it to you. Uh, and the Lord takes that, and he says, yes and amen, I will use that and bless that. Uh, and so I just want to encourage you in that way that I really believe when you devote your life to the Lord. That doesn't mean things will always feel great, look great, any of that. Of course not. But I do think that the favor of the Lord will be upon you so that your life will make a difference for Him, for real. And as we do that as a church, God's going to bless the church uh, so that we can love others. So uh, our sermon today um, is about, once again, this idea that this changes everything and nothing. So I had this phrase I wanted you to think about, that we may be coming back, but we're not going back, okay? We may be coming back in, we're not going back to the way things were, and that's totally okay. The idea is not that we need to find what we used to have and go back. The idea is that we need to move forward with God into whatever the future holds for us. And the reason that that's so helpful for us is because we have the stability of these two central things that don't change about our, our, our life and our life as a church, is that the world has changed, but our God and our mission has not. So last week we talked about how our God has not changed. He's still faithful. He's still good. He's the same. James 1.17, he's the same. He doesn't change. 
and you root your life on this foundation that God does not change. And then secondly, today, we're talking about how our mission doesn't change. So we can move forward with God into the future because we're having these two strong things to hold on to. Remember, uh, the illustration from last week was you have to think about us going forward as like a bunch of new people on ice skates, right? You remember? And we're like a bunch of new people on ice skates and we're, you know, doing what people do when they're falling all over the place. And the things that we're going to hold on to that are going to keep us up because, right, we're going to keep slipping. We don't know how to live in this new world. We're going to keep figuring it out. The thing that's going to hold us up together is going to be these two strong truths, that God doesn't change and our mission doesn't change. So the method may look different. The way you do it may look different. The way it feels might be different. But the, message, the, the method and the mission, I mean, the method changed, but the mission does not change. And I think this is a helpful concept for us as you're moving forward because you're going to feel that way in your family, and I'm sure you already have. Right? You're like, I have no idea how to work from home and do all this and then take these kids through school. They don't have, I have no idea how to do that, right? Every parent feels like they're on ice skates, you know, like for the first time. I'm like, I have no idea. I have no idea how this is going. But little by little, right, you start to remember God's with me. He's got this. He's bigger than this, okay? And you begin to find confidence in that. I want us to have that same feeling as a church and for you in your life with God to say, man, you're going to move forward and it's going to be a little wobbly in this new world. But the things that will keep you stable is if you focus on the fact that God doesn't change and that your mission, that your reason for existence doesn't change. The reason for our existence doesn't change. It's the very same as it was before the pandemic, and it'll be the very same later. So this phrase that this changes everything and nothing is so important. It recognizes that the world is different. We're not going to pretend like we can just go back to normal, but it also recognizes that the very essence of why we're a church is the same. And we can move forward in confidence, boldness, and security, knowing that we have the same reason for being here that we did at the first place. So I want to go back to the text that we basically launched the church off of, and I want to remind us of the very reason why we came here. What is the mission that we're here to do? Uh, it starts in Luke 4, remember, and it goes to Isaiah 61. So I hope you're getting more familiar with these texts. We're going to read through it again today uh, and hopefully establish them more clearly in our hearts. In Luke 4, it says this, Jesus in verse 16 says, He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, as was his custom. He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll, and he found the place where it was written. Jesus says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now what Jesus does in Luke 4 is he references Isaiah 61, okay? So we're going to really need to continue to know how Jesus is doing his ministry so we can copy him and imitate him. Isaiah 61, 1 through 4 says this, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. This is what Jesus is quoting. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, and to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. 
They shall build up ancient ruins. They shall raise up former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. And based off these two texts, we came to Falls Church and we said, we want to be a church that lives to do holistic ministry, body and soul. We are anointed by the Spirit of God to bring good news through the gospel, to bind up broken hearts through good deeds, to see beauty instead of ashes, joy instead of mourning, and praise instead of heaviness. And we want to see the city and the communities around us be rebuilt. Instead of devastation, there's restoration. That's why we came here. We said this is what we want to do because this was the mission of Jesus. As we said from the beginning, our passion is to shine the light of Christ in dark and hard places, to bring real hope and help to all people. This is what we're here to do. We're going to do that by planting community-centered churches that bring light to the world and bless communities spiritually and physically. Now remember, we said that when we were doing pre-launch stuff in last summer, we said that when we launched last September, and now look, in the middle of this summer, 2020, in the middle of a pandemic, God gives us a building so that we can begin building the City Light Center and begin building this community center church. You got to see that, right? The thing you're sitting in right now is a direct answer to the vision and the prayers that we prayed a year ago. And to say, man, the Lord is bringing these things to pass. The Lord is doing it. What we said we wanted to do based off what God told us to do in the Word, we set out to do. And the Lord says, okay, you're going to do what I ask you to do. I'm going to give you the way. I'm going to make a way for you to be able to do that. So now we're sitting in a building, and during the pandemic, this building functioned like a city light center and a distribution center and a medical testing center. All sorts of stuff was going on in there so that people could get help. This is amazing. You got to think about, man, this is not like, oh, that was cool. This is like, wow, God is doing what we wanted him to do. And so this should give you, at least it gives me a ton of confidence to say we are moving in the right direction, and if we just keep taking steps of obedience, God's going to keep opening doors to, to be able to use us in the community. So we remain faithful to the mission God has sent us. We say this all the time, that light is made for darkness. And I think this is such an important concept for us, that when Jesus calls us the light of the world, he intends that we go into dark places. Matthew 5, 14, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. But understand, it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light so shine before others, they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So Jesus says, hey, City Light Church, you're the light of the world. And we understand that to say, man, light is made for darkness. So in the midst of racial injustice, in the midst of pandemics, in the midst of division, in the midst of struggles around us, in the midst of all these issues that we see in our world, in the midst of poverty, in the midst of pain, Jesus says, that's where you're supposed to be. You're the light. And so when something like a pandemic or all these other terrible things happen around us, you have to remember, that doesn't throw us off. It actually opens the door for the mission that we came here for. We are made for darkness. That's the very reason you're called the light, is to say you can be in a dark place and shine. So when dark things happen around us, we don't say, oh, what do we do? No, we step right into that. We say, well, we're the light of the world, Jesus. What do you want us to do? And so I want you to have that mindset continually as we move forward to say, no matter how dark it gets, no matter how troubled things get, you are designed and we are designed for this very purpose, to go be the light in the darkness. You know, when I was thinking about this, I thought about how often my kids will be in the basement and they'll yell at me and they'll say, Dad, we need your phone. I'll say, what for? You know, and they'll say, I need a flashlight. 
I need a flashlight, which is funny that phones are flashlights, right? They don't ask for a flashlight. They ask for a phone so they can use the phone as a flashlight. They don't know what a flashlight is. They've probably never seen one, a real one, like one you hold. But they have my phone. They say, Dad, we need your phone. We need a flashlight. And I have to take my phone, right, down to the basement so they can look at something under the couch. So that's their goal. They found some treasure under the couch, which is a toy they hated, right, three months ago. They don't even care about it. And all of a sudden, it matters, like, everything to them. It's the most important toy in the world. They have to get it. And so they're looking under the couch. It's dark under the couch. They're not strong enough to move it, so they want my light so they can see, right? So I have to get my light. I have to bring it to the dark place. I have to shine on it so that we can see it. In the same way, right, light is made for darkness to say light has to go to the dark place so that it can shine on the darkness so that the light can be seen there and so that God can begin to work in that place, right? Light not only is made for darkness, light goes to the darkness, It goes to the hard place. It goes to the dangerous place. It goes to the dark place intentionally with the idea that I'm going to shine light on this space. And so as we continue to think moving forward, we think, man, we are made for this. So in light of our mission, I want you to uh, write down this sentence, okay? This is our thought for today, especially those of you who love sports. The world may be playing defense, but the church is still on offense. This is the the vibe, the feeling, the the principle that I want us to take from here is that the world may be playing defense, but the church is still on offense, right? The world is playing defense all around us, trying to fix problems that have happened, trying to keep bad things from still happening, trying to play defense against this virus, trying to prevent bad things from happening. And if we get caught up in that, we just walk around and play defense too, just trying to avoid bad things happening to us, as opposed to saying, no, 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 we're the church, we are made for offense. So we go on offense. The church is still playing offense. I want you to see from these scriptures that we've preached a few times on Isaiah 61, and I want you to see this angle of the intent, right, to go places and be light, to basically play offense, to be proactive. So if you're on offense in a sport, you're proactive, you force the tempo, you start the fight, you move the thing forward, the defense has to react to you. And so now I want you to think about that as the church, and I want you to read Isaiah with this in mind, right? So he says, we're going to set captives free. Well, that sounds like offense to me. That sounds like proactive. That sounds like I'm going somewhere and I'm doing something for someone. I'm going to bring freedom to those who are captive. I'm going to bring freedom to those who are imprisoned. I'm going to give sight to the blind. I'm going to bring good news to the poor. So if I'm going to bring good news to the poor, that requires me going into a place of poverty. If I'm going to bring sight to the blind, that requires me being around people that can't see. If I'm going to deliver those who are in captive, captivity, I'm going to be required to go to the place of captivity and deliver them. I have to, we have to play offense. We have to play offense. And the more I was thinking about Jesus, just think about Jesus' life. Right? The philosophy of Jesus was that offense wins championships, okay? This is what Jesus lived by. He was always playing offense. He was always stepping into the battle, starting the fight, going to the place. Jesus was playing offense. He was never like waiting to see what would happen to him or trying to fix things that happened around him. Jesus was constantly proactive, forcing the tempo, forcing the fight, making the move, going forward. I love this, this phrase he gives Peter. He says, you guys know this, in Matthew 16, 18, he says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, think about that. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, gates are defensive. 
Gates don't play offense, gates play defense. Gates secure what is inside. So if the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, right, nobody picks up a gate and tries to hit somebody with it. That's not how people use gates. So when he's talking about the church is going to prevail and the gates of hell won't stop it, what does that mean? That means the church must be going into the gates of hell, right, storming the gates of hell to deliver those who are captive by the enemy. Otherwise, it doesn't make sense. The slogan doesn't make sense unless you have gates of hell that are keeping people captive to the bondage of the enemy, and the church is going to be built, and then it's going to prevail over those gates, which means the church is storming the gates to take people out from behind the captivity and bring them into freedom. Otherwise, the illustration makes no sense. Nobody picks up a gate and uses it to hit somebody. So we have to think, man, God said I'm going to build my church, and the church is going to play offense. It's going to go into enemy territory, and it's going to take that what is rightfully God's, and it's going to set people free. This is what we're made to do as a church. So the church, as we said, is best on offense. You just, you should write that down and remember that. The church is best on offense, that we play offense. We don't play defense. This is what we do because we're empowered by God. Let me give you a few more and then we'll, we'll close. <clears throat> Let me show you in the Bible how God explains the captivity of people. I'm just give you a few examples of the world that we're living in. And I want to remind you, right, in the midst of all the crazy things happening and us making decisions about schools and getting all that information and all the things about jobs and work, right, that we can get so focused on making these decisions about this life right now that we forget the mission that we're on. So I want to do one thing. I want to recognize we all have lots of hard decisions to make, and things are really difficult right now in many ways for each family based off their life, their life decisions right now. But at the same time, I want to fix your mind on the mission that you have been given by God so that as you make these life decisions based off what your family is like and what they need, you move forward and we move forward together on the mission. So let me show you something. Okay, uh, the Bible teaches us that apart from Christ, people are captive. So what does it say? The gates of hell will not prevail. It says this in 2 Timothy 2, 26, that they may come to their senses, talking about other people far from God, and escape the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So you see what's happening there. People are held captive to do his will, and we come in and we say, no, you are made for God's will. We deliver the gospel, people believe in the gospel, and they get freedom from the captivity that they are currently in. Apart from Christ, people are blind. So not only are they captive, they're blind. In this case, it says in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So people are captive, people are blind. So now we're supposed to bring sight to the blind. And now we go into places where people don't know God, and we deliver the gospel, and they see clearly. Apart from Christ, people are being led astray. Ephesians 2 says, they follow the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who is now at work in disobedience. So just think about that. People are captive. People are being led astray. People are struggling. And then God builds a church, and he sends them into those situations, which is why Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it's the power of God. So... I have to go into places of captivity, oppression. I have to go to places where people are blind, where people are being led astray. I go into those places, and I am not ashamed or afraid because I have the power of the gospel to save, to deliver. And so the gates of hell, no matter how strong they look, they got nothing against City Light Church or any gospel-believing, Jesus-preaching church because we have the power of God to save and to deliver and to even bring sight to the blind and to bind up broken hearts. This is what you're made to do, and this is what makes living so exciting. 
we were having a conversation with the interns the other day, and I, I said, if Christianity is boring, it's because you're not living it right. You're not doing it right. Christianity is never supposed to be boring or like blah or whatever. It's never supposed to be. It's supposed to be this exciting, like, man, I got captives to set free. Man, I got a mission to live for. I can do that in my home. I can do that in my community. I can do this all over the world. I can do this with my brothers and sisters. There's something important for me to do in a pandemic, outside of a pandemic. And if the gates of hell will not prevail against the power that's in me because of the gospel, then a pandemic will not prevail against the power that's in me because of the gospel. Right? Then problems happening around me will not prevail against the power that is in me because I have the gospel. That is the most powerful thing. So I want you to take this to heart real quick and answer a few of these questions on your own. You can write them down. This is something we'll live out as a church collectively, which we do, right, through different missions and different ways we're doing this. But I want you to think about your own life personally. What does it look like for the mission to stay the same? So there, here's some questions for you to write down. Where can I take good news to the poor and the afflicted? Where can I do that? The second question is, what broken hearts can I help bind up? Just in my sphere of influence, the people I know. What captives can I help set free? What captives can I help set free? Where can I bring sight to the blind? Where can I bring sight to the blind? Where can I bring comfort to those who are mourning? I see mourning around. Where can I be intentional to bring comfort? And where can I proclaim freedom? Where can I proclaim freedom? And the Bible says if we do these things, that God will do the work of changing ashes into beauty, of taking mourning and giving joy, and of taking heaviness, which is probably the best word for the world that we live in right now, a heavy, a spirit of heaviness. Almost anybody you meet will have a spirit of heaviness. And God says, I want to take that spirit of heaviness, and by the power of the gospel, I want to turn it into a spirit of praise. And that's what he wants to see this community do in your life, in your home, in your situation. So as we close, I want to give you this final picture, right? And that's why this unity song is so important. First of all, I thought they did a fantastic job. This is a really great song. Uh, and we've talked about unity from the beginning, right? Just unity, unity, unity. We can be a lot of things, but we have to be unified. We can do a lot if we're unified. This is the Bible. This isn't just like strategy. This is the Bible. God says they'll know you by your love for one another. So unity, unity, unity. To be good at offense, a basic principle, right, is you got to keep the ball on your team, okay? You have to be committed to one another. You have to be, you have to trust one another. Same page, same heart. And so as we deal with the world around us, right, and as we deal with issues that people have different perspectives on, and as we navigate things that are difficult, we can do that well, and I think we have been doing that well, but what we have to remember is the goal is unity, that we would be one. That as we disagree, we are one. As we have different thoughts about how to move forward in certain situations, we are still one. Because if we stay one, if we stay unified, then God could take us and continue to help us move forward. But as soon as there's any division, that's like a turnover. What does a turnover do? It stops all the momentum, right? You could be flying down the field. You make one bad decision, and boom, it's over. The momentum's totally changed. It flips to the other side. And so we say we're doing all these great things. And then the world has all this trouble, and then the church's challenge is to be a united place in a divided world. And if God can keep us unified, and if we can be one mind, one body, one spirit, and not turn the ball over by attacking each other all of a sudden, right, we have a mission, we have an enemy, and it's not anybody here, right? It's not any other church or any other Christian that thinks differently about whatever. That's not the enemy. 
ever. The enemy is always the devil, always the world, always separate from us. The enemy is people being trapped and in captivity towards spiritual sin. The enemy is sin. The enemy is darkness. And so we say, I'm not going to turn the ball over by having division with one another, which once again, I think we've been doing great at. So this is more a pastoral encouragement and a reminder to keep doing that because the world's just going to get more divisive, people are going to have different thoughts on different issues, and what we have to do is continue to fight to stay one. Something for you to write down is division will make us defensive and it will derail us off the right direction, but unity is the key to offensive productivity. Right? The best offenses aka the warriors, right? We're, we want to be the warriors of the church world, all right? We want to be flying on offense, passing the ball, shoot. We want to be united in the things that we're doing together. This is what we have to be. Unity is the key to offensive productivity. And in, the, in spiritual language, right, that would be unity is the key to gospel and kingdom work. And so we take the mission God has given us, we praise Him for all He's already done, we get reminded and encouraged that we got to keep doing this, and not only just as much, but even more so, and then we close by saying, hey, to do this well, we have to continue to stay unified, and in the midst of a divided world, we need to fight for that together. So with all that together, that's why this pandemic changes everything and nothing, everything and nothing. The world has changed, but our God and our mission has not. And we're going to stand on those ground, and we're going to move forward together. So let me pray for us, and we'll sing to be unified once more together. Lord, we love you. We honor you. God, we thank you for the, even the opportunity to meet in this space, Lord. We thank you for the, the life and the breath that you've given us. We thank you, Lord, for how you've worked in and through this place and these people. We thank you, Lord, that you are trustworthy and that you remain the same. We thank you, Lord, that you empower us to go do the things you've asked us to do no matter what the world is like around us. We thank you, Lord, that we don't have to be afraid of darkness. Rather, we can go into it because you've made us the light of the world. We pray that you would continue to teach us and train us and encourage us to go live the mission you have called us to. Lord, we love you. We love you. We honor you. Continue to make us unified as one here at City Light. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.